Hi, this is Sunny, and this is a Sunny Look at the Bible. What I love about the Bible is that we don't have to get a fresh word. There's so much fresh word in the Bible. We just need to discover what that fresh word is. Uh, I, I want to be very clear that I think it's important not only that not just myself who's teaching this, but that you become very biblically literate. And not just biblically literate, but also conte- contextually literate. And what I mean by that is that when we look at who this was written for, the time period it was written, and we know we learned about that in week two about the churches that it was written for. But when we find that out, then we can know the parts that don't apply to us specifically and that we can just pull from their story. Like last week, I I mentioned this or the week before that my sister season learned from my mistakes that's learning from someone else's story. So my story wasn't for my sister, but my sister learned from my story. That's a lot of what the Bible does. We, some things we, we learn from the story, but the story didn't happen to us specifically. Same thing with Revelation. If we're waiting for this exact thing to happen before we know God is coming back. I think we'll miss it because as I'm reading through chapter 8, 9, 10, and 11, I think that some of these signs are happening or have happened or God repeatedly have happened so that it will get our attention. And then we can be so hard-headed and hard-hearted, hard-headed, hard-hearted, both, that He's giving a repeat. He's putting on repeat, like the record that skips, like, here's a warning. Here's my voice. Here's here's my grace. Here's my mercy. And I saw that through this. So these chapters actually didn't make me think, oh, yeah, you know, the, the pandemic, for sure, this is this is lining up. And now God will be back here in a month. Uh, what it made me realize is we've been getting warnings and we continue to get warned because of his love. He gives us so many warnings. So last week we talked about the seven seals, but we didn't finish because the seventh seal is in chapter eight and we went to chapter seven. But I want to recap. Last week we talked about chapter six and seven and we talked about how the seven seals, the seven trumpets and the seven bowls are not a series of add those together and there's 21 signs and then God comes back. They're actually, and I like how the Bible project put it, they're actually more like nesting, nesting dolls. So when, when one completes, it opens up the story to learn about the next. So the seven seals happen and then the seven trumpets. And and what happens is they overlap. So let me give you an example. We, t- we were told in John's vision that there was a scroll. There was a scroll of seven seals and they were unsealed. Little, little cool thing, Gail Brady, who is a part of our study, she Marco Poloed me after last week and said, Sonny, I found something in my studying of this that I thought maybe you'd be interested in. And thank you, Gail. Listen to this. This is what she shared with me. Seven seals on a scroll was common uh, back in Jewish times that a will, so someone willing their estate, 
their will would be sealed with seven seals. Super cool. So what that means is that in their context, they're used to knowing, oh, that scroll with seven seals. Oh, that's the will. That's the will of God. And the only one that can open it is the son, which makes sense because back in Jewish times and even today, the firstborn typically becomes the power of attorney. They're the ones that typically, um, I mean, we're losing that a little in, in, recent modern times, I think, because there's a lot of blended families, um, because, you know, we wouldn't skip over. I'm the oldest in my family, but I'm a female. Well, I wouldn't, in this day and age, just get skipped over for the first and the only male in our family. That's my brother, and he's third in line. So it's a little different, but but for sure, it was the firstborn. It was the firstborn son. So think about that. The parallels of seven seals were common on a will. And so when John sees this, and when his readers, the church hear this, they go, oh, the only one that can read it is the firstborn son. Okay. And it's God's will. So that would be Jesus. So we're going, who's, who's the lamb? Who's the one to open it? What's that mean? Uh, it was clear. It was the son opening the will of the father. Okay. So there's seven seals. Uh, what we learned last week is that there were the first four seals each opened up uh, the vision or the revelation that there was a horse. There were four horsemen. We've heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So four horsemen that brought judgment. Okay. Then the fifth seal was of the martyrs. And it, it talked about the cries of the martyrs, all those who had died from persecution, which was happening currently when this was being written and for those yet to be martyred. Then the sixth seal was agony uh, and was was the people who hadn't repented agonizing over all of the pain and suffering. And it said that they were um, wishing that the rocks and the caves would crush them because it was so difficult. But that what John heard was that 144,000 would get the seal of Jesus. Now, remember what John hears versus what John sees is important to recognize what John hears is through his context. What he sees is through the vision of what God gives him. So God didn't give him the vision of 144,000. John heard, oh, my context is there's like 12,000 of the 12 tribes of Judah. They're the ones to get the seal of Jesus. Well, there's way more millions of people on earth since then and now. So what God showed him was many nations with many ethnicities that would have the seal of protection from God. Now, how do they get that? Through obedience. They don't get it because you're chosen, you're not. We have free will. They get it by by even in persecution following Jesus. Same thing for us. Even in persecution in present day, how do we know that we're saved and we have a promise of eternity with God? It's through our obedience. Okay, so then we left off and we got done with chapter six and seven and the seventh seal wasn't open. And that seems pretty important, right? Think about if you knew as you keep going on on the pages of a stapled together will um, in present day, that la if it's getting better and better and better, you're like, ooh, what's on that last page? So in chapter eight, it starts today with the last seal of that. And it says that it was, it seemed like, and I want to be clear, in the Jewish Bible, it said it seemed like a half hour of silence in heaven when the seventh seal was open. In our 
many of our Bible translations, it just says there was a half hour of silence in heaven. But I want to be clear, the Jewish Bible, its translation said it seemed like a half an hour. Like, I don't know why it seemed like or there was a half an hour, but let me read this to you. It's Revelation 8.1. When the lamb broke the seventh seal on the scroll, there was silence throughout heaven for about an a half an hour. This translation, about a half an hour, that's kind of like saying what the Jewish Bible said, seemed like. I saw the angels who stand before God and they were given seven trumpets. So here's, here's what I believe, and I wrote this down. There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour or what seemed like it. And because with all the activity, this dramatic pause must have seemed like it lasted forever. During this time, the only activity was the prayer of the saints. So, you know, we learned in or in previous weeks that holy, holy, holy was going on. Like there was constant worship in heaven and there's always constant worship in heaven. But when it seems like a half hour, if, you, if it's constantly a noise and then there's silence, Think about when you do one minute of silence, like at a football game, to honor someone who just dies. One minute, doesn't that seem like an eternity? I've learned on Zoom calls in this pandemic time that uh, the beginning when you're trying to get started on a Zoom call, it can seem like an eternity when you're waiting for people to get on. And I think that what that speaks to is that, that what we're used to, we tend to get a little bit distracted by this weird silence because we're used to constant noise. So for them, a half an hour seemed like eternity then, but it was a pause. It was like, all right, here we go. Seventh seal. And this is what we see. I saw the seven angels who stand before God and they were given seven trumpets. Okay. Again, seven, seven, seven. So there, then the angel, another angel with gold incense. So that's an eighth angel. Okay, I've made a little diagram for me. You really look at that. And if you're on podcast, you can't see what I did. I made a throne. God's on the throne. I put seven angels, drew them around the throne. And then there was an eighth angel. There, so there's more than seven, there's an eighth. Okay, then another angel with a gold incense burner came and stood at the altar, and a great amount of incense was given to him to mix with the prayers of God's people as an offering on the gold altar before the throne. So I drew a gold altar. If you're visual, maybe you can draw this out in your notes. Uh, the smoke of the incense mixed with the prayers of God's holy people ascended up to God from the altar where the angel had poured them out. Then the angel filled the incense burner with fire from the altar and threw it down upon the earth. The thunder crashed, lightning flashed, and there was a terrible earthquake. Okay, this is uh, some interesting insight into incense that was uh, that was common in Jewish times. So an incense burner filled with live coals was used in temple worship in Jerusalem. Incense was poured on the coals and the sweet smelling smoke drifted upward, symbolizing believers' prayers ascending to God. That, And if you want to mark this down, Exodus 30, 7 through 9 talks about it. I know that if you see uh, documentaries where they're trying to reenact um, or show you what the the temple looked like in Jerusalem. There was smoke. And and honestly, they said there was this constant amount of smoke going up. Well, I always thought that that smoke was from the sacrifice of the uh, the lambs that were, or whatever was being sacrificed uh, at the temple. But that didn't always happen. So this makes more sense to me that going up from it was 
the incense, and that was very normal. And then the angel threw the incense burner down upon the earth. This symbolizes the judgment of God released on earth in answer to the prayers of the saints for the justice of those who had been oppressed and killed. This shows the judgment, vindication, and revenge are in God's hands, not ours. Okay, now on to the four, the first of the seven trumpets, the first four trumpets. Then the seven angels with the seven trumpets, or uh, it, those were really called shofars. So it's not like what you picture, gold trumpet, three thing, three, what are they called? Buttons? That's how much I'm not musical and don't know trumpets. Uh, three buttons. You'll put this in the comments, I'm sure. Uh, gold plated. No, we're talking shofars, which probably came from the horn of an animal, but it would have sound, sounded loud and they would have changed the pitch of it with their breath in their mouth, but it was basically a horn, a shofar. So when it says seven trumpets, we're really talking shofars. Then the seven angels with the seven trumpets prepared to blow their mighty blast. Verse seven, the first angel blew his trumpet and hail and fire mixed with blood. They were thrown down on earth. One third of the earth was set on fire. One third of the trees were burned and all of the green grass was burned. Okay, I want to go back to the angel throws the uh, the incense down or the bowl down. One that's showing that the angel did it on behalf of God. And also I want to go back to verse 3 where it says the incense was given to the angel. J Jesus was the go-between. I just That's just a little note that I wanted you to notice. But then I had marked not just on verse 5 where it talked about thunder, lightning, earthquake. I also, in this first trumpet or shofar blast, it says the earth was set on fire. Okay, so this is where I began to, to think, okay, is this going to happen or have we had warning signs many times. Um, that's why people probably freak out when they they think about the fires in California and how many things get burned up, the, the wildfires in Montana and Wyoming. I lived through that when we lived in Montana and Wyoming. It wasn't super close, but there were, I mean, we thought it was going to get all the way to our ranch because it was burning up huge portions of the state. So anyway, then the second angel blew his trumpet and a great mountain of fire was thrown into the sea. One third of the water in the sea became blood. One third of all things living in the sea died and one third of the ships on the sea were destroyed. Okay, so I want to point out some things that I noticed because in the Jewish Bible, it gives us better understanding of that's it's not that at first I thought a great mountain of fire. I thought, oh, it's talking about volcanoes. No, it says in the Jewish Bible, what looked like a mountain and then uh, a great mountain of fire. It was just saying it was a huge, huge fire. They were, they would not use words like huge. They would give examples of how big the fire was. And uh, many, many scholars believe that that was, uh, that was just saying it's like a mountain and that the people's blood is what filled the sea. So again, some scholars, and this was before 9-11, would say, like mounds of fire. Like I read this in a commentary from someone who wrote this pre-1900s pre that said what that's talking about is mounds, that judgment would be mounds of rubble that were aflame like a mountain and that the sea, it's not saying the sea is blood, it's saying the level of blood that was shed in that one time is huge. And then 
it says one third of all the ships in the sea are destroyed. Now, one, one thing I didn't realize is that ships, okay, let me find this uh, footnote because it was so good. Uh, where is that? Nine. Okay. Oh, shoot. I'm going to, I'm going to miss it. I don't know where I wrote it. Uh, but basically, I guess churches, early churches, uh, were shaped like inverted ships. I didn't know that. Like their buildings were physically, and this wasn't synagogues. I know how synagogues were shaped and looked. But I guess early churches, which then were destroyed, those were the first to be destroyed in all of the wars um, and Roman conquest and all that, were shaped like inverted ships. So in no way did any scholar think that that meant ships will be destroyed. Again, I, I originally read this and thought, oh, the cruise ships. I mean, during this pandemic, the cruise ships are just out of commission. Well, let's not point it all the way back to that. It's actually talking about the churches. A third of the churches will be destroyed, which I would say that's happened. I would say, you know, maybe not in present years specifically, but there have been... Um, monasteries and there's been um you know quarters where where monks were transcribing the bible that were destroyed okay verse 10 the third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from the sky burning like a torch it fell on one third of the rivers and on the springs of water the name of the star was bitterness it was made it made one third of the water bitter and many people died from drinking the bitter water have you ever heard of um well, we'll talk later about bitterness and the, the term bittersweet. But this is saying the great star that had already fallen. So this is talking um, not about a great star will fall. It's actually referring back to this is Satan. He already had fallen. His angels already had fallen. Uh, and and then uh, and these are paralleling the plagues. So the plagues made the water uh, not drinkable, and people became sick from the water. And again, we've seen that happen over time. So that's why I keep saying the Exodus plagues, and then the plagues that we see have repeated over century and another century, and another century that we all think this is talking to us. I do believe that these do repeat and have repeated. Okay, then the fourth angel blew his trumpet or shofar, and one third of the sun was struck and one third of the moon and one third of the stars and they became dark. One third of the day was dark the also, and also one third of the night. And then I kind of paused and thought, that's weird. I mean, I feel like depending on where you live, one third of the day is dark. So that, you know, um, then I looked and I heard a single eagle crying loudly as it flew through the air. Terror, terror, terror to all who belong in this world because of what will happen in the last three angel blows when they blow their trumpet. Okay, I want to I want to take you to a few things. One is that the first four trumpets are the plague trumpets. The first four trumpets are warning trumpets. Okay, uh, then I want to show you that we know that those were, were with plagues, but then when it says the eagle, it stops talking about trumpets for a couple verses, and it talks about the eagle, and the eagle is, is flying, saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. In fact, whoa, take heed, take warning. Don't let this get to a point where now 
you have to live through the woe trumpets. So there are plague trumpets and there's four of them. The fifth one um, is also a plague trumpet because it's talking about locusts, but it's just like, like next level plague. Then we get into the last two trumpets, which are the woe trumpets. So it's like the first five trumpets are physical things on earth and the last two are are considered the woe trumpets and I mean W-O-E I mean just like epitome of uh you know a horrible thing to live through so it says that the locust so the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star that had fallen to earth from the sky he was given the key of the shaft of the bottomless pit this is not satan or a demon or an angel falling now or later it's referring again to Satan who already fell with a host of angels and they became demons. It's talking about the angel who had fallen and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit and that he opened smoke and opened it and smoke poured out through a huge furnace and the sunlight and air turned dark from the smoke. The locusts came from the smoke and descended on the earth and they were given power to sting like scorpions. They were told not to harm the grass or plants or trees, but only the people who do not did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were told not to kill them, but to torture them for five months with pain like the pain of a scorpion sting. In those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. They had what looked like gold crowns on their heads and their faces looked like human faces. They had hair like women's hair and teeth like the teeth of a lion. They wore armor made of iron and their wings roared like an army of chariots rushing into battle. They had tails that stung like scorpions and for five months they had the power to torment people. Their king is the angel from the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek Apollon, the destroyer. The first terror is past, but look, two more terrors are coming. Okay, I want to refer to... Um, the meaning of this verse, the locust, actually, let me tell you this, uh, the prophet Joel described, this is back in the Old Testament, a locust plague as a foreshadowing of the day of the Lord, meaning God's coming judgment in Joel 2, 1 through 10. In the Old Testament, locusts were symbols of destruction because they destroyed vegetation. Here, however, they symbolize an invasion of demons called to torture people who do not believe in God. The limitations placed on the demons, uh, show that they are under God's authority. Most likely these locusts are demons, evil spirits. Remember it said they come up from below the earth. Evil spirits ruled by Satan who tempt people to sin. They were not created by Satan because God is the creator of all. They're fallen angels. They are fallen angels joined to in, with Satan in his rebellion. God limits what they can do. They can do nothing without his permission. So their main purpose on earth is to prevent, distort, and destroy people's relationship with God because they are corrupt and degenerate. Their appearance reflects the distortion of their spirits. While it's important to recognize their evil activity so we can stay away from them, we must avoid any curiosity about an involvement with demonic forces. Again, doesn't this sound like present day? There is this infatuation with with evil and demonic. And I mean, I even believe horror films are just opening us up and then people get an appetite for it. So even though this can sound like, well, this is going to happen and these demons are going to come on the earth, all of these trumpets are saying things that we've also actually already experienced. Uh, also, the locust demons have a leader whose name in Hebrew and in Greek means destroyer. 
It may be a play on words by John to show that those who worship the great God Apollo worshiped only a demon because you see it says Apollon the destroyer. Again, John is trying to give context to his readers and he's trying to say just like right now I'm warning people don't don't follow your horoscope because that's what's hot right now and star following and reading and all that. Just like I'm putting that context there, John was putting it on the God Apollo saying he's only a demon. So then the altar, so now we're going to get into verse uh, 13. Okay. So then the sixth angel blew his trumpet and I heard a voice speaking from the four horns of the gold altar that stands in the presence of God. Again, back to my little drawing. I had a throne of God. Then I had a golden altar with fire on it. That's where the angel mixed that bowl of incense with the fire. So we're back to that. And the sixth angel, um, stands, stands at that altar and the voice said to the sixth angel who held the trumpet release the four angels who are bound at the great euphrates river then the four angels who had been prepared for this hour and day and month and year were turned loose to kill one third of all the people on earth i heard the size of their army which was 200 million mounted troops there weren't even that many people living at the time of john's prophecy so that was just like massive to him okay one thing I want to point out is that those are an additional four angels and those four angels are the four horsemen. Okay. So when it's releasing the four angels, we're back to, again, remember I said we overlap seals with trumpets with next we'll go into bulls, but the overlap is that the, uh, the sixth trumpet is releasing the four horsemen that we already learned about when we talked about the seals on the scroll. Okay, so four horsemen, and they are released to go and kill, and it sounds like they have more troops. 200 million troops is more than John could imagine. We'd probably need to hear 200 trillion troops uh, to this day and age. And in my vision, I saw the horses and the, and the riders sitting on them. Okay, I'm not going to go through all of this, but you can go back and look at all of that. It talks about what they look like, what they're through the, the horse's nostrils. It killed people. Skip down to verse 20. But the people who did not die in these plagues, this is talking about the plagues that were released from the first five trumpets and seals. It's saying, but the people who did not die in those plagues still refused to repent of their evil deeds and turn to God. They continued to worship demons and idols made of gold, silver, bronze, stone, wood. Now, today we wouldn't say people are doing that, but they are. Our gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood, that was their that was their trade and their money and their currency. That was what now we will say, well, people do that over money or the politics is all about the money or that person's all about the money. In our context, it's saying we will worship things other than God. And they did not repent of their murders. And then this is that next level of people or their witchcraft or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So because they didn't repent, these it continues on. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from earth. We're in chapter 10. I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, surrounded by a cloud with a rainbow over his head. Now, the rainbow over his head could be being told or it was there because it was the promise that God would never wipe out all of mankind. So after the flood, there was a rainbow and that was the covenant promise. I will never destroy the entire earth again. Now he could destroy 
groups of people. And so far, it's one third of the land, one third of the people. But I think it's very interesting to note that the angel, it's a mighty angel. So who is that angel? Um, maybe a mighty angel, maybe that's a representation of God's angel comes down. The rainbow is like showing the people who, who know that promise and covenant. It's time to repent because you don't have to be destroyed. The whole place doesn't have to be destroyed. You still have hope. His face shone like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire. Again, now we're starting to, to realize, I think this is actually God. This is a form of, of God and Jesus. And in his hand was a small scroll. Some versions say a little book that he had opened. He stood there with his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he gave a great shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the seven thunders answered. Again, the seven thunders, uh, we've heard about that. Uh, that was probably the Holy Spirit. Um, and then the great sh shout, like a roar of a lion, the power of him. Now the small scroll, this isn't an additional scroll. It says a little book or a small scroll. If we're talking that this scroll, most scrolls would be 30 feet long. Then think about when you unroll the scroll, the reason it might've been called a small scroll and it was an open scroll in his hand. The reason it might've been called small scroll or little book in other translations is because there was only a little bit left to read because as you unroll it and you keep unrolling it you get to just the very end or just a little bit at the end so it's the same scroll and it says uh in verse chapter 10 verse 4 when the seven thunders spoke i was about to write but i heard a voice from heaven saying keep secret what the seven thunders said, and do not write it down. Again, seven thunders, Holy Spirit. So it could read, when the Holy Spirit spoke, I was about to write. John was about to give us more information to put right in here in Revelation. But John heard from heaven a voice saying, keep secret. Then the Holy Spirit said, do not write it down. There, Sean was, uh, because he's preaching in Romans, he was talking about there were some things that Paul said that he was not allowed. He was told to by God or by the Holy Spirit, but he wasn't allowed to share. And it's funny because I had just read this in Revelation. I said, oh my gosh, I found that too. I didn't know that we didn't hear everything. I mean, I know that we don't hear everything that the biblical authors, you know, had to say because how could they put everything and they put the high points, the things we need to know. That's why we didn't hear anything about Jesus from, you know, birth to 12 years old and then 12 years old to 30. We're 31. We're like, what, what happened in those years? Well, it was irrelevant to the writers or maybe irrelevant to God that we needed to know that. He's like, I'll tell you the rest of the story in heaven. But I, I thought that was interesting that Sean was finding it in Romans. I was finding it in Revelation where, yes, the writer was told more, but we were told not to hear it. And this is why. It says, Then the angel I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand toward heaven. He swore an oath in the name of the one who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and everything in them, the earth and everything in it, and the sea and everything in it. He said, There will be no more delay. Then the, when the seventh angel blows his trumpet, God's mysterious plan will be fulfilled. It's supposed to be mysterious. It will happen just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. So the prophets may have even known more than they recorded, but it's supposed to be a mysterious plan. Why? Because God has, we've just seen, 
sent sign after sign, plague after plague. We have lived through plagues. We've lived through our generations before us. We, we have lived through famine, war, pestilence, disease. We, we've lived through all of it. Right now we're living through it. And it's mysterious. And God obviously, we see right here, doesn't want us to know the time and the hour. Because you know what would happen? Those of us who are passionate about God and want to follow him with our whole heart, if we know it's three years from now, we could go take a break knowing he's not going to come back. We don't have to really repent till the trumpet sounds three years from now on August 8th because he's coming back August 9th. What it does for those who are opposed to him is they go, I'm not changing until that time happens. But yet he gives us signs to soften our heart. Yet for many, we on, they only harden their hearts more. Uh, I'm going to skip down to, oh, no, we're going to look at chapter 10, verse 8. Then the voice from heaven spoke to me, John, again, go and take the open scroll, that's that little one I talked about, from the hand of the angel who was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I told him to give me the small scroll. Yes, take it and eat it, he said. It will be sweet as honey in your mouth, but it will turn sour in your stomach. So I took the same scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet in my mouth, but when I swallowed it, it turned sour in my stomach. Then I was told you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. John was told, take this information, take this vision, take this scroll, eat it, digest it, take the word, get it in you. I feel like it is so sweet when I'm learning this, but I'm telling you, I have had a stomach ache. So when I read this, I related and thought, okay, maybe I shouldn't overthink this and relate, but I related to it. During this pandemic, I feel an urgency to eat, consume, chew on, mutter the word of God. And I'm, I want more of it. And it's sweet. But the bitter sweetness is that it reveals that there are people who are hard to God, and there is going to come an end to, to the time they can have a chance to accept his grace and mercy. And so to speak out the things, it's, it is, I'm sure that as he, he ate it and it was sweet, it was like, that's truth, God. But then he was also revealing that, that these angels would pour out death where people would be stung by this demonic uh, force, but not be able to die and beg to die. Multiple times now we've seen both during the sea, the uh, seals and the trumpets, times where people were begging to die because the torment was awful. That's bittersweet. And so where do we get the term bittersweet right here? If you didn't know that, obviously this would have been the first time that was used, that it will be sweet to your mouth, but bitter to your stomach, that you'll have to go and tell. And he says, now you're going to go prophesy to the peoples, the nations, the languages, and the kings. Then it moves into the two witnesses. Chapter 11, when I was given, then I was giving a measuring stick. And I have this metal, like, decoration of a measuring stick, a ruler, basically, a reed. Uh, but this is, again, symbolism. That's not what we're talking about. It says, go to and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the number of worshipers. Do not measure the outer courtyard, for it has been turned out, turned over to the nations. They will trample the holy city for 42 months, and I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will be clothed in burlap and will prophesy during those 1260 days. Okay, 
I don't know if he's talking literal on some of these points, but because I know that he's talking figuratively on the measuring stick, that was not talking about a ruler, a reed. Uh, that's not actually, it wasn't talking about a physical temple. One, John couldn't go measure the temple. He was exiled on the island of Patmos. How's he going to go and take a tape measure and measure the temple? It wasn't talking about that. We, once Jesus came, we were told that we are the temple, that we're the temple of God, that we walk around and we can house his spirit, his presence in us. So it was instead measuring us, the people, as the temple and the measuring stick also is referred to as the canon. The canon is the complete scripture. It is the complete scripture that we're not to take away and we're not to add to. And he's saying the canon, because this revelation was going to fulfill and complete it anyway, that measure the people by how they're adding up and measuring up to the canon of scripture, to the truth of my word. He says, count the number of worshipers. And there's another translation that says, uh, basically to check the incense. And now that we know about incense has to do with prayers going up to God, his point is see how many people are still praying and then he says but do not measure the outer courtyard again not literal he's not able to go back to Jerusalem but the outer the people who aren't the temple of God the people who haven't chosen God he says don't even measure them for it's they've been turned over to the nations why because they had seven signs they had seven signs again or or he, we've heard about that and they still have turned themselves over to the nations away from God. So they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Again, because we haven't been literal, I don't want to be literal when I read 42 months. I also don't want to be literal about that the two witnesses prophesy for 1260 days. Maybe they do. But the rest of this uh verse or context of this verse was not literal. So let's talk about these two prophets. It says, these two prophets are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of all the earth. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. Again, I don't think we're talking literal. Maybe we are. This is how anyone who tries to harm them must die. They have power to shut the sky so that no rain will fall as long as they prophesy. And they have the power to turn the rivers and oceans into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they wish. Okay, what we do know is that these witnesses, if they're in bodily form, uh, they're not just two random people that became witnesses that we've not heard about. Actually, it's believed that these two witnesses, because they do bear a strong resemblance, are Moses and Elijah, uh, two of God's mighty prophets. Uh, because with God's power, Moses called plagues down upon Egypt. And Elijah defeated the prophets of Baal. Both of these men appeared with Christ in his transfiguration. In Matthew 17, 1 through 7, uh, Jesus... And Moses and Elijah were on the mount. It's called the Mount of Transfig Transfiguration. What it means is that they were seen by human eyes, and it was the spirit of, of Jesus and the spirit of Moses and the spirit of Elijah. But they looked, transfiguration means they looked physically there. They may have physically been there. They're also the two people in the Bible who never died. The reason now, now it says that Moses did die 
But Moses was taken to a place to be buried that God buried him. Nobody actually buried him. And it said that they don't know where his uh, burial is. In fact, let me look. I want to find that exact. Um, I'm not finding it. I had it in my notes. And maybe I just can't find it right now. Uh, nope, I can't find it. Sorry about that. I will look it up, but there was, there is uh, the scripture. I'm sorry, I've just found it. Okay. Sorry, podcasters, because you're not even able to see my face, face in this. But uh, Moses and Elijah, these are the places you can go and look up what I'm talking about. Deuteronomy 34, 7, Jude 1, 9, and Malachi 4, 5. So what we know is that Moses and his burial spot, it says in the Bible, is unknown. It says God buried him. Elijah went up to heaven. He, was, he didn't die and wasn't buried as we would know it. So what makes sense is that these two witnesses are Elijah and Moses. And isn't it interesting because then it says that these two prophets will be killed. Let me read that to you. We're in chapter 11, verse uh, five. If anyone tries to harm them, fire flashes from their mouth. Okay. I already read that six. They have power to shut down the sky. I already read that. And then in verse seven, when they complete their testimony, the beast that comes up from the bottomless pit, Satan will declare war against them and he will conquer them and kill them. And their bodies will lie in the main street of Jerusalem, the city that is figuratively called Sodom and Egypt. So remember they were clear figuratively, not that particular city. Um, and in the, and for three and a half days, all people's tribes, languages, and nations will stare at their bodies. No one will be allowed to bury them. Now, if you remember, uh, in Jewish times, it was considered normal that when you died, you, uh, you were buried one way because there was a chance that your spirit didn't leave your body until day three. And so on day three, your spirit leaves your body. Maybe that's because physically you start to decompose. And so that's why Jesus rose on the third day, because by day three, you're really dead. So again, this is repeated here that the two prophets would lay in the streets. No one could touch their bodies for three and a half days. After three and a half days, 11 verse 11, God breathed life into them and they stood up. Terror, terror struck all who were standing or staring at them. Then a loud voice from heaven called to the prophets come up here and they rose to heaven in a cloud as their enemies watched at the same time there was a terrible earthquake that destroyed a tenth of the city seven thousand people died in the earthquake and everyone else was terrified and gave glory to god in heaven the second terror is past but look there's still a third terror coming again not everybody repented and so it says in the rest of chapter 11 i won't read through it that uh, the seventh trumpet, it blows. And there was loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and our, his Christ. He will reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders sitting in their throne on their thrones before God fell with their faces to the ground and worshiped. And they said, okay, they, they're, we give thanks to God who is, he sits on the throne. This is what I think is interesting. Just like Jesus' family didn't believe he was really the Messiah, many of them, I think Mary believed, 
you know, that's, we think Mary believed before, but for sure, James, Jesus' brother, uh, earthly brother, did not believe he was the Messiah. He was just kid brother. No, he would have been older brother, Jesus. Uh, but he would have not believed it said until after the resurrection. There are 24 elders standing around the throne, and it sounds like they are, they fall on their face. And one, they realize he is who he says he is at a level I never expected. I never tr truly believed. And or they are so grateful that all those dirty, rotten people who have had time after time, chance after chance are finally getting what they deserve. Crazy, right? That 24 elders, which we talked about, 12 apostles and representing the 12 um, the 12 tribes or the 12 disciples are like, wow, he is who he says he is. He did what he said he was going to do. It even shocked them. Thanks for joining me today. For more great content like this, check out Cheery Conversations, available on all podcast platforms. You can also go to SunnyHennessy.com to connect with me and find out all the things going on in my head at all times. See you next week.